This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. We have an announcement. I wanted to let you know that the Dear Prudence podcast will now be released twice a week. That's right, two different episodes of Dear Prudence every week. The first episode will still come out at the same time on Tuesdays, and the second mini-episode will now be released on Friday mornings. Talk to you on Friday. Now, on to today's show. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me this week in the studio is Sandy Allen, an author who lives in the Catskills. They host a new podcast called Mad Chat, which unpacks what our pop culture is telling us about madness and mental health. Sandy, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm really happy to be here. I am so excited. I I know that you, I think, are in the Brooklyn offices, but in my mind, you are in a cabin in the Catskills being patched in by, like, a friendly prospector. Yes, and there in your mind I shall remain. I am not in Brooklyn right now. Thank you. That is, I mean, Brooklyn could be the prospector's name. That would be fine. That yeah. would totally work with yeah. the the version of the fantasy advice that you will be giving today. But it's just me. Sage advice. From an old timer who's seen a gold rush or two. Yeah, my neighbors are exclusively prospectors. You've yeah. got you've got that stereotype, right? Well, most of the questions today, fortunately, are about you know gold dust, uh, staking a claim, <laughs> um, handling Where I a put rush. My mule? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Washboard problems, <laughs> etc. Tin cans, eating no out women of women in this society, eating out okay. of a can, um, and <laughs> scurvy. So. I really wish that that was all that I, I had to do. If, if if there are any prospectors, that would be incredible. Yeah, if there are any if prospectors like, listening, I have a scurvy question. <laughs> yeah, ask me your scurvy questions. Don't don't ask me too many medical questions. Ask doctors those, but you know, consider me as a second opinion. If it's an old timey medical question, exactly. You know. I only want to hear about rickets and uh, neurasthenia. Uh, that's it. Those are the only two things. Sandy. Yes. Would you be so good as to read our first letter? I would be absolutely honored. Uh, Subject, should I feel bad for kicking my ex out? Dear Prudence, my boyfriend of four years and I broke up three weeks ago. We tried couples therapy for months, but he ultimately called it quits. We are still living together and he plans to move out soon, but he has been going out constantly and coming home late without explanation. He recently told me he was going to a work conference in another city, but that was a front. I discovered he was actually at a hotel near our apartment with a coworker who he cheated with in the past. I emailed him telling him not to come back home. Am I wrong? He totally disrespected me and our relationship, but now I'm feeling bad for kicking him out. So you you have at least, I think, letter writer answered your own question, which is, should I feel bad with, yes, I do. So, should I feel bad? <laughs> you know, in as much as telling someone stop feeling bad doesn't always work, you're allowed to feel bad. That's certainly fine. My concern is more for whether or not you have made any legal missteps in kicking him out. Um, I don't know. Oh, if, interesting. Yeah, that's usually when people talk to me about trying to get an ex or a a, a, a recalcitrant partner um, out of the house. My first thought is, you know, is their name on the lease? Mm. Um, what are your state laws? Um, do you have to clear it with the landlord? Do you have to give one another written notice? Um, do they have a right to contest being thrown out? Do you have to evict them? Um, yeah. So in as much as we can get to the feelings part later, if you have thrown your ex out and he later decides to contest that, it it would be good to consult with your local tenants rights board to find out what your legal standing is. Yeah, it's funny. When I read this question, I assumed that the letter writer was on the lease and that the boyfriend was sort of a 'er ne'er-do-well who was just still on the couch, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But you're right that it doesn't actually say like, oh, you know, uh, I'm like reclaiming my apartment 
at last, you know. Um, but I guess I was focused on sort of the feelings part of the letter, as you say. And I guess I was really stuck on the word should um, because, like, yes, this person does feel bad and it seems like that's why they've written. But I I don't know if you should feel bad, you know. Like, I think that when you break up with someone, you break up with them. And and in this case, it's like he has, as you say, like disrespected your relationship. I guess I just wondered, has the letter writer actually accepted the fact that there has been a breakup here? And, you know, does living together sort of prolong the uh, the realization of that fact? Right. Because all, all that to say, my only concern there is that, like, if your ex decided to become really combative and wanted to try to, you know, um, come after you legally for for the apartment. I would want you to be protected. Yeah. It may very well. Like, he was already agreeing to move out. It sounds like he's kind of aware that he's been a dog. If he just, like, you know, puts his tail between his legs and it's like, you're right, I'm going to crash at a friend's house, come by and pick up my stuff later, then that's kind of fine. Um, but there's this sort of, like, difference between breakup etiquette, right, which is like, okay, he called it quits. He's the one who's been cheating on you. He's the one who is, like, pulling away and hurting your feelings, it totally makes sense from an etiquette standpoint to say, of course, he should be the one to move out. Um, and it probably would have been better to do that rather than to try to keep living together um, while also being freshly broken up. Um, so if he's just like, yes, I accept being kicked out, then that's fine. You know, don't go borrowing trouble. Don't go assuming he's going to um, start yelling at you via the landlord or whatever. I think that's really keen. And, and it seems like a you, you definitely would want to avoid getting into a situation where that was what was going on. I did want to suggest that this person, um, I mean, one thing that, that struck me as perhaps um, a, a bit alarming was the decision to email something like, hey, don't come home again, because that feels like a big thing to say to a partner, you know, former partner of four years. It seemed like the kind of conversation that if you're going to have it for realsies, you're going to have it in person um, or at least, you know, try to use your your, you know, your voices and talk to each other. It, it, it struck me as a sort of like maybe a, a passive way of trying to say the thing of like, hey, uh, we broke up, so you need to actually move out now, um, you know, which I think there's often in the uh, maybe the sort of like aftermath or near aftermath of a relationship, a sort of like period of this kind where things are maybe a little more ill-defined or, you know, people haven't actually like logistically uh, begun the breakup yet, even though they've kind of declared that they're breaking up. Yeah, I, I think I see that a little bit differently. I feel like you two already were in couples counseling. You already had the breakup conversation. You already tried living together for a couple of weeks and it wasn't working out. Then you found out, you know, he's off uh, with somebody he cheated on me with. I, I, I think in that situation, I definitely understand, like, I want to put this in an email. I really don't want to look at you right now. We have had all the breakup conversations. And right now I just want you to leave me alone. And, and I do think, you know, it's good, especially if you're talking about agreeing to stop living together. It's nice to have something in writing. Mm. But, you know, I, I think it's good that you two broke up. I think it's good that since you broke up, you are no longer living together. Um, it, it sounds like he already had plans to move out and has a place to stay right now. It doesn't sound like he is now homeless. Um, I don't think you have caused him any real harm aside from just the harm that everybody goes through when they go through a breakup. So I, I think the the sadness or the bad feeling that you're experiencing right now is just the fact that your four-year relationship ended and ended badly. And, and then the two of you were sort of staying in really close proximity with one another and you had to see him, uh, you know, living like a single person again while still living in your home, which is painful. But I don't think the feeling bad means, wow, that's really weird that you didn't want to keep living with your ex after you found out he took a weekend getaway with someone he cheated on you with. Like, I, I get that, yeah, you know, like very reasonable to no longer want to be living with that person, you know, and it's like, I think you're going to feel bad. You know, that email that might be sort of the most acute. This is what I feel bad about right now. But I think in general, you might just feel bad for a while, you know, like when you have a big breakup that that kind of can follow. And, and once you're actually not in each other's living spaces, it probably will get easier. Right. And to just think of like, now that you two don't live together, you don't have to worry if he goes out late or he doesn't need to give you an explanation because he doesn't. Yeah. He's not your boyfriend. Um, and so I yeah, think there that doesn't need to be a front. Yeah. I think that was probably part of the pain of still living together. It's like, well, I still know when you come home. So when you come home late, I still feel weird about it, even though as exes, we're no longer kind of entitled to know what the other one is up to. Entitled isn't maybe the best word, but I think you know what I mean. And so I think it is good for you to not live together. I think it's really hard to live with somebody and say, 
we're not involved anymore, but it still hurts me if you go out with other people. Like, that's a sign it's time to move apart. Yeah. And you can't just like become roommates or friends after you were together for four years, like with a switch of a, you know, like you you can't just be like, oh, now, uh, hey, let me know when you're coming home, Pat. Like that's not actually you don't have a a whole other uh, musculature here. Like you're you you were a romantic couple. Now you're not. So if he's out with people in a romantic or sexual fashion, that's going to hurt you, you know, kind of there's no avoiding that. Like being roommates doesn't really seem like a an indefinite solution, nor is it what they're doing. But, you know, don't feel bad for kicking him out. (laughs) Right. This is new girl. You can't just immediately become besties and roommates with an ex. Um, Yeah. So I think it's fine. You know, if you haven't already set aside a time where he can come by and get his stuff, if you need to um, run any of this past your landlord or if the two of you need to sign anything to make it clear that he's no longer on the lease, do that. Um, if you do feel worried that he's going to try to push back against this, certainly, you know, consult the local tenants rights board and maybe even talk to a lawyer to see what you need to do, um, to make sure that, you know, he can get his stuff, um, and he gets the warning that he needs to, to move out. But you certainly don't need to try to figure out a way to live together with this guy again. You guys broke up. It's done. I'm nodding. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, congratulations on not dating somebody who makes you feel disrespected and who cheats on you. Yeah. And who lies to you. I hope that you don't have to date someone like that again. Yeah. 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 That's no good. Yeah. Yeah. So good luck. Enjoy the freedom. So I think we're ready to move on. Yeah. I'll read the the next one. Yeah. Please do. (laughs) Subject. Brother losing boundaries. Dear Prudence. Recently, my adult brother has been struggling with normal boundaries both between us and out in the world. We're both in our 20s. He lives with our parents while attending law school. I live alone in a city nearby. Our family has always been extremely close. We mostly tell one another everything, including things we'd never tell our parents. Recently, he's been taken to sharing private information about himself and our parents I cannot unhear. We were texting the other day, and he told me about my father reading erotica online. I assume my parents have normal sexual outlets, but I don't want the details. I told my brother I don't care to hear this and would like him to stop texting it to me. He responded by telling me the genre. I blocked him because this was the most recent incident in which he's told me something I don't want to hear. I've told him of my distaste, and then he's added other details. I've given him warnings about this behavior, but he hasn't listened. As for boundaries out in the world, he has admitted to picking up a shoplifting habit. He also admitted to habitual unsafe sex, not just without protection, seeking unsafe and unsavory sexual situations. I am now uncomfortable about calling my parents because of the information he's shared and because there is little privacy for my parents to talk with me away from him at home. How do I approach this? How do I tell my parents I'm not calling because of my brother? Should I betray his trust and see if they think finding him help is appropriate? It's hard being away from home, but it's harder being disconnected from the people I love. Um, well, I was just going to start with that last line. Like, it's hard being away from home, but it's harder being disconnected from the people I love. And just say, like, yeah, That's really hard. And, you know, I'm sorry that it feels like relationships that for you have been very fundamental and close and safe are maybe changing and that I don't I I I mostly wanted to just start with it's also the possible that that is just what's happening, that you're not going to be as close with your the family that you grew up with now that you're in your 20s and and going forward. Like it's possible that you're going to start finding or maybe you've already begun finding other relationships that are going to um, be those ones that are as close as what your relationship with your brother, for example, once was, you know, like it is painful. Um, but that 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 change, the fact that that change is happening, like just alone, isn't necessarily um, a bad thing or even um, something. I think it's something that a lot of people, you know, experience as they grow older and grow away from home and into their adult lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I would I agree with all of that. And I would just add to it the kind of uh, last question. Should I betray my brother's trust and see if my parents think finding him help is appropriate? My answer to that is no. No. Um, I understand why you feel concerned uh, about some of your brother's choices, but none of this to me reaches the threshold of involving an adult's parents. Um, they are they all fall under the rubric to me of 
sometimes bad, sometimes simply unique behavior that you might not make yourself, but that adults are entitled to make about their own lives. Um, so I, I, I don't think shoplifting is great. Um, I, I don't think that it's so bad that it involves getting that it would require telling on your parents to him. I think you can go ahead and either say like, boy, I hope you stop. Or I don't want you to tell me about it. Or even I'm not going to talk to you if you keep insisting on telling me about your little shoplifting escapades. Um, but, you know, to me, like uh, as as inconvenient as it is for corporations and as much as I don't think it's good for your personal integrity to shoplift, doesn't meet the criteria of going to some adult's parents. Same with unsafe sex. Um, adults have the right to make unsafe choices about sex. Um, and, uh, you know. Uh, unless you had real reason to think that he was in imminent danger of harming other people in in a very serious way or himself. And again, not just a way of like, you could be exposing yourself to risks that I'm not comfortable with, but like, uh, you know, I I think you're about to harm yourself and end your own life. Um, and, And even then I would encourage you to proceed with caution. So no, to me, this falls under the category of stuff adults do that other adults might disagree about, but not something that, um, requires, going over a 25-year-old man's head to his parents and saying, you need to tell him to stop having unsafe sex. Um, He gets to if he wants to. Yeah. And I think that what you have control over is not your brother's boundaries, but your boundaries, you know, and like the subject line is brother losing boundaries. And it's like the the sort of setup here where our family is extremely close and mm-hmm. is particularly it seems like the brother, like they've shared a lot of intimate details with each other over the years. So if like you're and I, I admit personally, I don't identify with this question in some sense. Like I, I, I was never someone who was like, my family is extremely close, but I am someone who has had to draw a very firm boundary between myself and different members of my family. And, you know, it can be really painful to do something like that. But that sort of that starting place of like, we are we are the kind of family where we know everything about each other and we share everything and we're them, you know, like mm-hmm. that dynamic is one that I've known people, you know, who have a really tight family like that. And in that case, you know, that intimacy, I'm sure it can be real. And I also think it can be habitual and not very real and sort of rooted in certain things being left out um, or rooted in certain people's behaviors that are perhaps not appropriate being ignored. And it does seem to me like the letter writer has over the years cultivated an intimacy with this brother that now the letter writer doesn't want to be as close. And it seems perfectly reasonable for the letter writer to want to have a bigger boundary there. And if that boundary is, I blocked his number and I don't call him at our parents' house and I don't you know, involve myself with him at all. I think that's fine if that's if that's what the letter writer feels is most comfortable for them and like that's what they can handle. I think that's an entirely reasonable action for them to take in terms of like, how do I talk to my family even though my brother lives there? It does feel to me like, you know, you have a choice. You you say you're extremely close with your family. So if you are extremely close with your parents in a way where you you can't have a, an a emotionally honest conversation about what's going on, I would I would question that premise then. You know, I would ask yourself, are we extremely close or is there a sort of uh, way in which uh, certain things are, you know, being asked to be shared really openly and then we actually don't have the emotional bandwidth to have a real conversation about X, Y, and Z. Does that make sense? Yes. I, and that's where I'm right with you. I think some of this is a little bit like the the idea of we are a close family can become a certain premise that you feel like you need to protect. Yeah. And that to me feels really different from like, you don't say that your parents are asking you about your brother. You don't say that they are, are repeatedly asking you what's going on between the two of you. You just say, I'm uncomfortable thinking about calling my parents. And that to me suggests that there's a lot you can do internally before you ask, what can I do out in the world? So if the idea of calling your parents while your brother is in the house feels tricky. Um, is that because you think he would be listening in or is the idea of just him being in the same house while you talk to them on the phone is uncomfortable? Because if it's the latter, 
I, I think that's some discomfort that is okay for you to sit with and call them regardless. Yeah. Um, or if you want to call your parents a little bit less as you explore a new set of boundaries with your brother, I think that would be okay too. I don't think it would mean that you are about to become estranged from your whole family or that the closeness is gone forever. Um, but I, I think if your bar for like how you relate to your family is I need us to be close all the time and if we're not all close, I don't know how to handle my emotions around that. That suggests to me it might be um, time to consider, like, what are ways in which I can develop as an individual um, away from my family? Not just living independently, which is great, um, but but a little bit of separation, a little bit of individuation. So um, I, I think to whatever extent you want to call your parents a little less, go for it. When you do call them, if they say, hey, do you want to talk to your brother? You can just say, um, actually, not right now, but thanks. I got to go. Uh, if they start to ask a lot of questions, you can draw a boundary there and just say, hey, you know, I appreciate your concern, but I want to be able to manage this relationship with my brother by myself. And it's something that we'll be able to talk about. But thanks for letting me know. Um, those are all really okay things to say. So that's all you have to do, I think. You know, I, I understand that it might feel weird talking to your dad in the immediate present because just having that thought of like, I know what porn you look at and I didn't want to know that is totally uncomfortable erotica erotica i was charmed by that <laughs> I, Bless. I was like I mean, oh that's so nice the word in this letter that i wondered the most about was unsavory um i wondered what unsavory was euphemistic for and i mean it just seemed to me like the brother's actions are provocative like the brother is trying to irritate the letter writer right mm -hmm. like the sort of like don't talk to me about this oh i'm gonna tell you the genre you know it's almost like mom he's touching me you yes. know it feels very juvenile and the sort of the instinct to tattle that the letter writer seems to have like the instinct to like quote betray the brother's trust but like to tattle and to be like he's been shoplifting he's he has unsavory sex whatever that means like that instinct also strikes me as like not very mature of the letter writer just as a, as an urge. And so I would just in general, you know, encourage you to maybe like when you say, you know, harder being disconnected from the people I love, I'm sure or at least I hope that there are other people in your life who you also love and maybe, you know, continue to think about the ways in which those relationships do nourish you or do encourage you to be like emotionally honest, etc. And just give value to those relationships as well, because I'm always a little wary of a cultural story that's like, oh, my family is so close. We're such a good family. We have the best family. And then that kind of like, I think, leaves out the reality that, hey, like in this letter writer's case, you can have individuals in your family who don't really allow that sort of like model to remain, you know, like that that can change over time as well. And like it's not a bad thing or like a failure on the letter writer's part if that family doesn't stay extremely close forever. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I also wondered what unsavory was code for instinctively my mind goes to gay because that's often the kind of code that people use when they don't want to um, acknowledge that something makes them uncomfortable. There's a number of things that you might judge your brother for doing sexually. Um, I think it's great to have unsavory sexual tastes. Um, I, I think that's part of the rich tapestry of life. And if everyone's sexual tastes and sex life were sedate and measured and tightly controlled, the world would be a less interesting place. So, you know, if he is engaging in higher risk behavior than you would, but he's not yeah. actively harming people um, and he's yeah. not, you know, about like I get my thrills from driving my car into oncoming traffic and other people are at an immediate danger because of me, <laughs> then you just, you just got to <laughs> let that one go. That said, I do think I, I yeah. feel like I've been a little harder on this letter writer than I intended. And so I just also want to say your boundaries make sense to me. What your brother did was super irritating. It's definitely cool to say, like, I love you, but you do not listen to me. And unless you can start respecting this boundary, we're not going to talk, which would make me really sad. But the choice is totally yours. The ball is in your court. It is up to you whether or not this thing takes precedence over our relationship. That is fine for you to say, good, keep holding that boundary. Um, you know, excellent work there. Well, to the question of if unsavory is a euphemism for, for example, gay or whatever, it's BDSM or, you know, I, I think that the letter writer's judgment of her brother is or of their brother rather is pretty clear. 
Um, and so, you know, just the fact of there being sort of a, a, a judgmental attitude as well, like it doesn't seem to me like the sort of the love as as like is referenced in the last line. Like it does seem to me like this, the, the letter writer sort of attitude toward a lot of the brother's choices is is pretty critical. And like, I, I just wonder, like, you know, what's the brother getting out of this relationship, you know, and, and what would happen if if the letter writer starts to really change up their pattern in terms of like not being receptive to just be the person who can sort of act as like uh, maybe, a you know, it seems like even a confession, you know, like they, there's often like, oh, here's what I did. Here's what I did. So I guess I would also be curious, like if you draw a firm boundary, what does that open up in terms of if you want to try to have a new and more adult relationship with your brother, you know, maybe that is possible, but it's going to take you like controlling your access that the that the amount of access that he gets to you. Yeah, I was curious about that too because admitted almost makes it sound like the letter writer was asking follow-up questions. Mm. Um, and I just think it sounds like it would be good for the both of you if you could agree, you know, our sex lives and our family members' sex lives are not topics that we need to discuss together as siblings. It just does not need to come up. Um, I think that would be probably good for the both of you. If he can't honor that, I think you are right to keep your distance. Um I also understand if you need to take a couple of weeks to, you know, avoid calling your dad just until you can get some of the images out of your head, totally fine. Um, but there's not a lot for you to do here aside from what you've already done. So that's the good news. Um, and good luck. I hope uh, he, you know, does not bring the same boundary-pushing, irritating ed- energy to becoming a lawyer. <laughs> um, yeah. So – we're going to move on. We're going to keep keep going down the line. The subject of our next letter is, they didn't cover this in sex ed. Dear Prudence, I'm a 19-year-old woman and I've never masturbated. While I've found some guys attractive, I don't think I've felt sexual desire the way that movies and friends seem to experience it. This year, I started to wonder if that might mean I'm asexual. I went to several websites discussing asexuality and I identified with some things but not others. I stumbled through talking to my doctor about this a little bit and she said that I'm Quote, perfectly normal, but listening to other women talk about their sexual feelings doesn't make me feel that way. Maybe I'm just a late bloomer, but I don't know. It's not as though I can approach people and say, hi, how do you experience sexual attraction? Can we compare notes? I also almost feel that I can't be asexual because I'm the straight friend in my friend group, and I definitely haven't struggled with my identity the way that my other friends have. How do I know what's up for me? Do I just wait and see? Oh... I was so charmed by this letter writer. I was too. My like first instinct was don't go online. Going online to learn things about your personal tastes <laughs> is not a recipe for flourishing. Mine was don't talk to your doctor. <laughs> your doctor doesn't necessarily have the best info. Great. Uh, Log but... off and ignore your doctor. <laughs> Just ask strangers in the street, excuse me, how do you experience sexual attraction? No, I mean, I think that like there's there's a lot going on here. And I think that like the my first reaction was, you know, I almost feel that I can't be asexual because I'm the straight friend in my friend group and I definitely haven't struggled with my identity the way that my other friends have. This letter is struggling with identity. Mm -hmm. So I would say like... You know, there's an allusion in this in the subject line to they didn't cover this in sex ed. Yeah, they didn't. So, you know, because we don't necessarily and I don't want to assume what your sex ed was, but like uh, regardless, I think, you know, if you got really, really Christian sex ed or if you got really liberal sex ed, I mean, yeah, they probably weren't um, giving a lot of attention to stuff like asexuality or even female pleasure and a lot of other, you know, topics that are actually really relevant here. So I would say just watch out with a trap like, oh, because I'm not insert the blank like my friend. I'm not struggling with my identity because I don't think that's that's not real. You know, like you 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 are struggling with your identity in this letter. That's the whole that's that's all you're talking about in here. And it seems like perhaps you're telling yourself a story about what you must not be because you're comparing yourselves to your friends. And I think you might be doing that precisely because you didn't necessarily get taught um, a, a very real representation of of human sexuality in you know, proverbial sex ed. Right. Yeah. So all of that, I I will happily co-sign and I would add to it. Certainly, I I think it is good to remember that movies um, are a lot of things, but they are not attempting to serve as like an exhaustive and thorough archive of the way that most people experience desire. Um, They are, you know, oftentimes art. They are sometimes 
commerce. Um, they are usually either an attempt to make money, sometimes to tell a particular kind of story. Um, I, I don't think that movies as a genre all have a collective goal of cataloging, you know, exhaustively the ways that everyone internally might experience desire. So I would just say if you don't see yourself in a lot of movies, um, that might just mean that movies have other goals or ambitions than to represent you individually. Yeah. And so I would just I would release movies from that burden. That's a big burden to put on movies. Um, yeah, movies aren't a good place to to go for assurance that you're normal, you know. And I think that in general, I'm I'm always a, a a skeptic of you know standards of normalcy. And I think that this person does feel like they're sort of trying to compare themselves to stuff that they see, which makes sense, you know. You you you're you're wondering what's up with me, and you know where do I fit in, and 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 how come I'm not seeing my version of of desire in the movies or in the lives of my friends. So it makes sense that you'd go for that comparison. But I agree that it's a really um, it's a dangerous um, trap to fall into because in general, they are fictions and they are, you know, as you say, they're capitalizing upon things. And I think in general, they're maybe not going to do as good a job, especially showing, for example, female pleasure. So, you know, or or the existence of trans and non-binary people, you know, so I think there's a lot that movies leave out just in, you know, uh, to 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 use a, a really broad brush. But um, I, I'm sure there are movies that depict uh, different sexualities with greater nuance. But I would I would let go of looking there for for guidance. Um, I I wondered, you know, the the do I just wait and see? I I did identify with that kind of question, you know, because sometimes when you do feel really uncertain about something to do with your identity, it can feel frustrating if you're not just able to manifest some crystal clear answer like right away. Yeah. Sometimes these sorts of things do just take time. And that can be very frustrating to hear if you're someone especially who just is like, no, I, I, I want to sort this out. I want to get going with with my with my new identity. But if if you haven't found one that actually resonates with you and rings true for you, that's fine. You know, you, you don't have to say that you're asexual if, if you read what that was and that didn't feel like you. You know, you can change your mind about that later. You can also call yourself asexual tomorrow and feel it out. You know, you can decide that that's what you are now and you can take it on. And then later you can go, you know what, actually, that wasn't me at all. Um, you know, these identities aren't like some some camp that you you then, you know, you you join and then you're stuck there forever and you can never change your mind again. Like, that's that's not how this stuff works. And I think the movies can make us think and, you know, that that is how this stuff works. Yeah. And I'm with you there, too. Like, you know, considering yourself, calling yourself, identifying as uh, asexual is free. It, it costs nothing. Um, it does not require any sort of effort on your part. It doesn't harm anybody. It doesn't sign you up for anything. So uh, to that end, I think that question of like whether or not you're allowed to is it's just not a question that you need to concern yourself with. You can call yourself that if you want. If you call yourself that and you kind of immediately feel like that's weird, that's interesting, that, that's a data point, that doesn't mean you have to stop. Um, but absolutely, that is free to, to you to explore. Um, but, but mostly I think the thing that will feel the most important to you is it sounds like you're kind of coming to this from a bit of a process of elimination. Like mm. there's an experience that sometimes I think I see my other friends share. I also have some reason to believe that other people experiencing it, it uh, at large, I feel cut off from it or I feel distant from it. I'm not 100% sure why that is. I, I, I have maybe one or two light theories, but nothing really seems to stick. And so I'm wondering if by process of elimination, that means I'm asexual. Some people arrive at understandings of their desires and their identities through the process of elimination. Um, I usually haven't, but sometimes it can be a little easier to think about what you're not and what you don't want before you can start asking bigger, sometimes scarier questions about what you might want. Mm -hmm. So I would really just say you get to if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Yes. Mostly this is an opportunity, as you said, to wait and see, um, to ask yourself a lot of questions, to try to register in various group settings. If you see someone attractive, when somebody might flirt with you, if you decide you want to flirt with somebody, ask yourself, you know, how am I feeling right now? Do I feel calm? Do I feel off kilter? Do I feel thrilled? Do I feel a little bored? Do I feel a little turned off? Um, what's going on inside me right now? Um, and, and pay attention to that. See where that follows you. You may find, among other things, that one of the reasons you don't find a lot of guys attractive is because you don't find guys as a whole attractive. You might find women attractive. You might find like two women attractive and one guy or something else. Um, 
literally anything is available to you only on the basis of whether or not it does something for you. And if it doesn't do anything for you, you don't have to take it. Yeah. And and that, you know, that that just I wanted to caution against kind of like default cis heteronormativity, you know, Mm -hmm. like assuming we are all straight and cis until proven otherwise. Like that's actually not a fair framework, you know, like somebody has given us that framework, but we get to reject it. And like, so if you let go of the idea that right now you are by default straight, I mean, because I I guess I wondered at that word being used here, it almost felt like a word that comes from the friends. Um, But like that compared to I've never masturbated, I've found some guys attractive. there's implied in there is I've never had any sexual interactions with these guys like implied in here is I've never had any sexual interactions right with other people I guess I would just um you know oh you you don't know what's coming you know for yourself you don't know who you haven't met um and there is always a potential that you will sort of like meet someone or something will happen that will like really clarify everything. But it's also possible that this will continue to elude you for some time, you know, and like that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to uh, to not masturbate or to not have sex with people or to, you know, to find almost no one attractive, you know, like that. That's not some bad thing that you have to correct about yourself unless you feel so. Right. And I think that's what I did wonder here was, is this sort of shame or pressure that you're feeling socially? Is it stuff that's coming from within? Um, You know, when you have these moments where you have been attracted to some guys, you know, what was the deal with that? Like, was that like something that you immediately then said, oh, I could never? Or is this an opportunity for you, for example, to seek therapy and to maybe try talking to a therapist a bit about, you know, all this stuff? Um, Because it seems like there's a lot sort of like uh, tangled up here. And and there's a lot of like shoulds and or like a, a sense of impatience, like you should have already figured it out. And that doesn't need to be the case. And there's also potentially a lot more going on here than is in this letter or that you're even consciously aware of when it comes to yourself. You know, people's sexual lives can be very complicated. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think I'm at the risk of like reading too much into throwaway sentences, but it part of it almost reads like because I'm the straight friend in my friend group, um, the only remaining explanation that w- I'm allowed to have would be asexuality. Mm. And, uh, you know, again, I would want you to pursue that label or that identity or that grouping if it felt meaningful and if there were things about it that you wanted to affirm and you wanted to pursue and you wanted to highlight in your own life. But if it just sort of feels like, well, everything else is taken and I don't have the standard, you know, trans or lesbian or bi or whatever else narrative, so I guess I'm out of luck there. That's just not, I think, a, a way that you need to look at this. Um, yeah, I, I, w- I would just stick with, you know, it's it's not at all unheard of for a 19-year-old woman to have not masturbated. Um, you are not alone there. There are a number of different reasons why that might be, um, not all of which are like, oh, worrying, you better get on that one. Um, in many ways, we do not live in a society that is set up to encourage young women to do that without feeling pretty like conflicted or self-loathing or like they're doing something wrong. So again, that that's not like evidence for or evidence against being asexual. Like I, I don't want to get into this kind of like, well, you can be asexual, but only if you eliminate everything else first and it would be better to be something else. I really don't want to get into like that. It's literally the more you learn about yourself and the more you decide groups or associations or identities or communities that are meaningful for you, the better. That's the only thing that I would want to encourage you to do. So you and well, yeah, it's it would be weird to approach strangers and, and say, how do you experience sexual attraction? You can, I think, sometimes have that kind of conversation with close friends. Um, yeah. Especially if you don't feel like doing it in a group setting, but you wanted to one-on-one and say, like, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. How, like, when you're attracted to somebody, kind of how do you know? What does it feel like for you? Um, and obviously, if they're like, I don't want to talk about that, you don't have to make them. But I think a lot of people are open to that kind of conversation and you can ask them questions or share your own experience or just meditate on what you hear later. um, And all of that is fine. Yeah. And even your friends who've like, I mean, to your mind, had a lot of sex or something like people who are like big sluts or whatever, like, you know, they might not necessarily like have it all figured out. You know, there's an extent to which uh, everybody is stumbling through. And I think especially at 19, a lot, you know, people are making it up and um, it's okay for you to uh, decide something is true about yourself and to later change what you feel is true. And and the the one suggestion I was going to make 
you mentioned going to websites discussing asexuality, which, you know, the Internet I hear is not necessarily reliable, but I would recommend um going to a library or a bookstore. And if this stuff really interests you and you're like, well, I saw a list of criteria about asexuality and I fit some of it and I didn't fit others. So I'm going to just close my computer and walk away and not think about that. Well, maybe that's something that is um, interesting to you or it is intriguing on some level. And maybe you do want to like, rather than just looking at a website, read a book, read a couple books, read a lot of books, you know, because maybe that's one of the ways that you can help work out. Yes, this is an identity that I really, you know, this this does feel like kind of how I've always felt or like I think finding that recognition or not maybe that happens if you sort of allow yourself give yourself permission to kind of uh, study study it a little bit more you know um, or just expose yourself more to points of view that maybe aren't the points of view that you've already been exposed to vis-a-vis movies and friends and sex ed yeah and I will add one last thought to that because I think that's so good Um, while you're reading just read novels I think novels are great (laughs) And um, they don't always solve the question of what it, what's the big thing on my mind right now. But they often are really, I think, helpful when it comes to thinking about how you understand yourself in relationship to other people. And just given what you've described, I would recommend three. You might like them. You might not. But I would recommend The Group by Mary McCarthy. Mm. I would recommend Excellent Women by Barbara Pym. And I would recommend A Favorite of the Gods by Sybil Bedford. If you ever read them and have any thoughts about them, please write back. I would love to hear if they were at all helpful to you. They might not be. Let's read the last letter. Hooray. Hooray. So the subject here is either or, and it's kind of like a slightly less fraught version of that earlier letter about taking in other family members. Yes. <laughs> I have pretty much the same answer, but at least there's less, um, there's a little less like darkness to the way that this person is thinking about the kids, although there's still plenty of, anyways, still subject, some. yeah, subject is either or. Dear Prudence, my fiancé and I live in a three-bedroom condo in the heart of the city. We both love it. Recently, we moved my aging mother into the spare bedroom. She's capable but has fallen a lot recently and lived far away. My fiancé loves her and suggested the move in the first place. My mother has friends in the area and adores cooking for us. Recently, my stepdaughter blew up her life. She has a three-year-old. She had an affair. She got pregnant while her husband was overseas on a business trip, then got kicked out of their apartment, and he filed for divorce. She has no assets. I didn't say anything when she failed her senior year of college three times, but now her mother lives overseas and she wants to move in with us. This might seem harsh, but nothing in my stepdaughter's behavior makes me believe that she's going to step up. All her conversations with us have been about how awful her ex is for not forgiving her and wanting the baby. She can't actually tell us with any certainty who the father is as she had multiple affairs. I'm not dealing with a toddler and a newborn in my guest room along with my mother. We are currently paying for my stepdaughter's lawyer and a short-term rental, but we cannot afford this in the long term. My fiancé tells me his daughter and granddaughter, quote, have to move in and brings up my mother as some kind of relationship gotcha. I argue that he brought my mother moving in himself, and my mother isn't asking us to raise a pair of children for her. He cannot even defend how his daughter acts, only that she will, quote, get better. You can't change a pig into a silk purse. I don't want to lay down an ultimatum. It might end my marriage before it begins. But if my stepdaughter moves in, I will end myself. If a tragedy happened and we had to take custody of the little girl, I would happily do so. But my stepdaughter willfully destroying her life and then sitting in the wreckage squalling for us to clean it up is not a tragedy. My stepdaughter has made no moves to secure a job or find out the father of her baby. Please help. So I just want to start with, you don't want to lay down an ultimatum, but you say that if your stepdaughter moves in, you will, it sounds like you say you will kill yourself. That is a very big ultimatum and I think a much better alternative to that would be to leave your fiance call off your engagement and find a place for you and your mother to live alone yeah I actually wondered if that was a typo when I read this like I wondered if it was if my stepdaughter moves in I will end it like Like I wondered if it was like about the relationship because yeah as you say like as it reads right now it's like a sudden suicide threat in this letter, which I was like, whoa, that's very intense. You know, yeah. like I will end myself or they're just saying that sort of flippantly, which I'm like, whoa, that's that's not a great move. OK, um, but there's there's a lot of moments in the sort of like word choices here where I was like, wow, OK, this this seems really intense. I mean, there's a lot going on, um, but it seems like one place to start is the relationship between the letter writer and their fiance. Um, Because all this other stuff, notwithstanding, it seems like there's kind of a question as to what is that relationship and what's the level of communication and honesty there. And I would say it is 
concerning, this whole dynamic, this gotcha, as you say, uh, in terms of the the it, it almost seems like a tit for tat or something that's being suggested here, like, oh, your mother moved in. So now we have to move all of these folks in. Um, and I just wondered, like, uh, what's your relationship like with your fiance? Like, are you guys actually communicating in a way that's supportive and healthy about this? Um, and if you're not uh, the sort of suggestion that your marriage might end before it begins, like, is that really such a bad thing? It was kind of what I found myself wondering when I initially read this letter. Yeah. And I think that's a good reading, by the way. I think I will assume that the letter writer meant to say I will end the relationship myself. Um, There are times and places for ultimatums. And if the thing is, if you move in your daughter and her two children, um, I will leave. That's a good ultimatum. That's an important ultimatum. If you know that that's true, good. You should be honest and upfront about that. And I think there are ways to talk about that with your partner that are not immediately like, I'm going for the nuclear option here. I'm hoping to escalate the conversation as fast as I can so we don't talk about other possible compromises. But it's a good ultimatum. It's not one that you ginned up. It's not one that's coming out of nowhere. It makes sense to me. I would probably share it in your position. So if if Mm -hmm. that's just something you need to bring to the table, that's fine. Um, I I also think it's... um, really fair for you to say to your partner, um, I need for us to leave my mother out of this conversation. Um, At the time, we did not move in my mother as a joint venture with the understanding that if later you wanted to move in another one of your relatives, we would do it as a quid pro quo. Yeah. Um, I get that you feel like we disagree on this and you want to try to find anything that you can to um, get me to agree with you. Um, But that's just not going to work. We didn't move my mom in. because we were going to start taking in relatives one at a time. This is a separate conversation. It's a separate issue. Um, I do not agree that moving my mother in means I need to help you take on raising your grandkids. Um, so if, if, if that's something that you're not going to budge on, I think the only thing for me and my mom to do is find another place. Um, but if we can set that aside and talk about what you envision if your daughter moved in with us um, and we're honest about like, why do you think that she would change? What makes you think that? Um, How do you envision um, helping her out with the kids? Um, If she has no plan to get a job, how do you know that she would get a job? Like asking those questions and if his answers to them all are just like, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to hope for the best. Honestly, I was sort of assuming you would end up having to do a lot of it. Then you have all the information you need to start looking for a place of your own. Yeah, I I wondered when at the very beginning live in a three bedroom condo in the heart of the city. Like, uh, who owns that condo? You're you're saying stepdaughter, but fiance. So you're not actually married yet. I wondered, are your financials actually tied together? If they're not, whose condo is this? And in general, um, there is a lot of anger in this letter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of word choices like squalling that are just like very. Um, there's a lot of uh, clearly this is a very stressful situation for the letter writer and lines like didn't say anything when she failed her senior year of college three times well you said something now you know like however good a job you're doing of hiding your feelings from the people in your life like I'm gonna guess it's not a great job I'm gonna guess a lot of people around you are very aware of the fact that you don't like this stepdaughter or to be stepdaughter Um, and when you're saying stuff like blew up her life had multiple affairs doesn't know the father I I don't know why this adult person owes you an explanation for who she's had sex with. I found myself pushing back at the sort of like entitlement or even just judgment, um, slut shaming um, or just judgment of the fact that, you know what, sometimes people are married and then they have sex with other people and then they end up getting divorced and they have kids even, you know, like those things happen. And it felt to me like the letter writer was uh Uh, very upset that these sorts of uh, events had been thrust into their life when in reality, like, I'm sure how your stepdaughter would describe this whole situation isn't the way you've described it. And I'm sure what she's going through is itself very painful. And it seems like there's a, you know, for whatever reason, I think maybe just because of how you're positioned in this whole thing, it's it's been tough for you to remember her humanity and to sort of still have some care and compassion for her uh, amidst what seems like a really cataclysmic time in her, in her life. Right, right. And I, I think, yeah, there's she has clearly, the stepdaughter has reached bitch-eating cracker status with you a long time ago, right? Which is why the, the stuff about college came up, because 
um, as, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, it's, it's an expression from those old like um, mother-in-law boundary boards on, I think, baby.net. I don't remember exactly where it came from, but it's like when somebody is so much in the doghouse with you that they could be sitting quietly in the corner of a room eating crackers and you would describe them as that bitch eating crackers over there. And so I get that that's where she's at with you. I do. I, I, I can kind of see my way to why the letter writer is like, this person is about to be on the hook for raising a child and she has not taken steps to figure out who the other parent is so that she can secure some child support. Sure. That seems reasonable to me. I get that. Um, Potentially. Yeah. But yeah. we actually don't know what happened to this person, right? So assuming the step the stepmother here has no good info, like we truly don't know what happened to this, you know, this stepdaughter and like why it is that she's in this situation. Right. Or like, like why she and doesn't I'm sure feel the last person comfortable yeah, reaching like out why to doesn't she want to contact the father like well there might be some super good reason right like she might not want to track down or like or she might know and is lying to you right like she might have a perfect idea of what happened here and there's actually details about it that are painful to her and she's not telling anyone or she just doesn't want to tell you her stepmother who clearly hates her mm-hmm. like i think that the fact that this stepmother is not someone who like there's no expression in here of like well i really love this kid you know she's practically like I practically raised, there's nothing like that, right? Yeah. There's coldness and judgment only. So it's like, assume that she's not giving you the full story, probably for good reason. You don't seem like a very like emotionally safe person to hand details of, of her life over to. And it seems like you're pretty freaking, you know, like critical of the choices that she's made, which I think if we lived in the 50s, sure, <laughs> she's been a, a terrible ideal of a, of, a, of a forever married woman, you know, like, yeah, she's really really messed it up if you have a certain sort of attitude toward this stuff. But the fact of divorce, for example, is not itself shameful. You know, like the fact that she might raise children and not be married to the father like that on its face is not shameful. And it does seem like the letter writer is sort of carrying those sorts of um, biases toward a decision like should she move into our condo? I do think at this point I want to come to the letter writer's defense a little bit because I also understand that what's happening is this person and is saying, I want to move in with you. I'm already asking for your financial support with my current rental and my lawyer. Yeah, I'm not taking steps to either secure a job or to try to get child support for my baby to come. I have not been able to discuss with you any of my plans for either pitching in around the house, someday helping to support myself, eventually becoming independent. And so I, I, I do understand why this letter writer feels like if I give this person an inch, they will take a mile. And there will be a number of ways in which I will be expected to step up and help raise those kids. And I'm really angry and worried that my husband, that my fiance is going to do that to me, that my fiance is going to try to talk me out of holding a really reasonable boundary and then will not himself step up in like, you know, feeding the baby at three in the morning and that that's going to fall to me. So yeah. to all of that, I would just say, you know, this is so, so, so worth. I'm so glad that you found this out before you two got married. Yes. Um <laughs> I think this is just a really good thing to tell your partner, which is just like, I'm willing to talk about how much longer we can continue paying for her lawyer. Um, I'm willing to talk about um, ways we can try to help her get leads on jobs or ways that we can point her to the kind of lawyer who can help her secure child support um, if if she needs to pursue a different person for that. Um, I cannot you know, live in a three-bedroom place with f- six people, five people. It's a lot. Um, it will eventually be too many people. Yeah, two yeah. kids, my mom, you and me, and your and your daughter in the heart of the city. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's not going to work for me. And if this is the line that you need to draw, um, you know, let's go to couples counseling together. Let's try to figure out if there's any other options that we have. But I just, you know, this is my line, which is if she moves in long term, I, I, I'm going to go and then make your plans. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like, in terms of the actual question at hand, should I let these people move in? No. Like, I completely agree. That's a very reasonable choice for you to make, kind of like the letter earlier. Like, you don't need to take on kids that you don't want to take on. Like, I think, in fact, if you have a real sense that you don't want to take those children on, you shouldn't, right? Like, I I think that – but that sort of, like, we are currently paying for her lawyer in a short-term rental. Like, that we – that's where I started wondering who owns this apartment. Have they already tied their financials together even though they're not married? Mm -hmm. Because if the letter writer is the we there, like if this is already that you're bankrolling your to be, you know, your to be husband's adult child and now grandchildren, like um, I wondered what is your relationship with your fiance? You know, are you being honest with with him about what you want? 
And are you giving him stuff because it seems easier to? And like when that sort of like inch mile thing, you know, that to me already seems like you are kind of like just involved in supporting the, this this daughter and it, during the situation. And so I guess I wondered, like, you you're already permitting this to some degree. And it seems like perhaps that's where kind of this amount of anger has been allowed to ferment, you know. Um, I wondered, can you talk candidly with your fiance about this? Is he actually willing to engage with you about this? And if he's not, if he's just like, ah, it's my baby girl, I got to give her everything. It does seem to me like it's an opportunity for you to be really honest with yourself about like, what's your motivation for staying with this person? Like, is this actually... um, Are you hoping that, you know, he's just going to turn his back on his daughter, change his mind about the extent to which he supports her kind of in vain? You know, are you putting yourself in a position where you're going to be always let down by his level of commitment to his child? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that that's just a really good point, which is just um, if his idea of a boundary with his kid or just whatever she needs at any point, um, then that's really, really important to kind of identify now. And I also think in terms of strategy for you, it will be easier if you can deal with some of the resentment and anger towards her on your own so that when you approach him, you're not saying stuff like she's squalling for us to clean up her mess. Because my guess yeah, is... Yeah, or calling her a... The, the, the silk purse pig line was, yeah. was tough. Too. Yeah, don't don't use those lines with him because all I think that that will do is make him feel defensive. And you still have plenty of hard evidence you can point to of just like, I'm not able to take this on. Um, what she is asking of us is not reasonable. Um, I understand that she needs help, but here's where I have to draw the line. Let's talk about where you draw your line, see if there's anywhere we can meet in the middle. Um, And you will, I think, get farther than that than if you go in with like, you know, uh, admit that your daughter is a bad person, which I just don't think you're going to get anywhere with him with that. So even, even if I like... I don't think that that's a good way to talk about her in general, but even if it were purely a utilitarian argument, I don't think you should um, use that language about her because I think it would only um, make this conversation more thorny and more difficult. And, you know, yeah, or like take up kickboxing or just do something where you can like get angry, you know, like allow yourself to feel anger. It's not bad to feel anger. Like there's obviously some very like anger inducing stuff that's happened here. And it sounds like probably will continue to happen here. And especially in a a scenario where what ends up happening is you don't hold this boundary as we're describing and that this whole crew does move in. Like, I think it's going to be really important that you figure out how to uh, figure out how you can still take care of yourself, you know know if you're gonna if you're gonna remain in this sort of uh in this situation that feels fraught you know and 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 having a lot of judgment of this of this person i don't think is helping you very much in in the scheme of things here like it seems like that's only just probably you know you're you're grinding your own teeth at night you know like i think yeah you need to maybe try to figure out how to let go take some deep breaths meditate go to therapy go for walks you know take up a violent sport yeah you get to say no to this without saying she is a bad and irredeemable person who is never going to take care of herself that's not your concern your concern is just what do i get to say no to and you get to and i don't know maybe you and the guy from the deal breaker kids letter can get together and have just like a lovely peaceful quiet meal (laughs) where you both respect each other's boundaries and go home to a clean house and i want that for you i do i want good things for both of you if that i will end myself line isn't a typo if i'm being too generous there uh don't say stuff like that that's messed up you know what i mean like it, it, that that's a if that's a line you're saying just sort of um to say it and it's and it's not something you mean especially i think you really be careful about throwing around language like that um it just i guess i probably hoped it was a typo when I got to the line because it just felt like if you're threatening suicide at at your loved ones here like if you're if you're doing that even in jest or something or even not very seriously like that's um, an unacceptable thing to do and it's it's absolutely unnecessary and I think and but I would also say if you're feeling that way like if that's actually what this feels like to you please go get therapy like please go find someone and who's, leave um, safe for you to talk yes oh Oh my gosh, if, if that's where you're at with this, but like, please, if that's the real, if you were sort of saying that line quickly, but that's the line you put down and p- pressed send on the email, like, um, please find someone who you can go safely talk about that with, because that's absolutely not something that you need to be um, carrying around inside yourself and not acknowledging. And in fact, treating it that way is a, is a, is a bad idea. Yeah. And good luck. Good luck. Sandy, 
Danny. That's it. We did it. <laughs> All those prospectors. Oh, I'm thrilled that that we were able to uh, get to all these <laughs> and uh, and that we figured out that there's gold in them hills uh, at long last. Yeah. Thank you for putting down your can of beans, your single tin spoon, uh, your one. Nub what do you, you think the cat skills are? Time travel? <laughs> I don't really go to the East Coast a lot. So I think of the Sierra Nevada mountains. But with more A-line buildings. It's uh, it's it's practically that. I mean, <laughs> I grew up going to the Sierra Nevadas, and I miss them a lot. Those are those are real mountains over there. They are very tall. They are. Um, thank you so much. Have a fabulous, fabulous rest of the day in your medium height mountains. Thank you. I'm in a, a very low mountain here called New York City. <laughs> Wonderful. Right, right, right. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipot to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Listener.